All right, welcome on to a 15 and 60 Twitter mailbag edition on the Eastern Conference. Overwhelming amount of questions. This was just an awesome tour de force performance by everyone who listened. We were a little bit light on just the Sixers, and I asked for a few Sixers questions. We got like 15 of them. So uh, we'll see. Hopefully, we can get through as many of these as we can. You know, I think we'll probably generally go with the format of picking one or two kind of bigger questions and then very quickly hitting a, a lightning rod to the extent that we can and we will go in order of cleaning the glass net rating uh and uh i don't think you need i don't think you need to guess too hard to figure out where we're starting <laughs> in the east no no i i suppose not uh maybe somewhere in the northeast uh, of the country well yes the boston celtics are 19 and 5 6 and 2 since the last 1560 though they have now lost to a team that is not the Cavs or the bulls so there's that um, they're still number one in the league in net rating at plus 9.1 per hundred possessions per cleaning the glass. They are first in offensive rating at a ridiculous 121.3, 14th in defense. And both Raptor and Elo, the 538 models, project them to finish first in the East with 61 wins. And yeah, they're making the playoffs. And the first question, I think this is just, I, I don't know that what this one, I want this to be the primary one, but the first question is, would you take the Celtics right now over the field to win the East? No, I wouldn't say so. I would give them Same. a little, maybe a slight advantage over the Bucks, and just want to see what the Bucks look like now that they're going to be whole. The Bucks could potentially make an upgrade at the deadline. Jay Crowder has been talked about. I think that would be a big addition for them, particularly with respect to playing against a Boston team that has a little bit more versatility and can go smaller than them and possibly cause problems. And so, I mean, if I as as the rosters stand right now, I might only be like fifty five four. 45 Boston and Milwaukee in that series and then we could still see of course uh, Philly get involved as well you could just see Boston get injured right I mean even if you want to say Boston is the clear favorite well if Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum gets hurt or Robert Williams can't make it back or whatever it is Al Horford goes down you know there's just probably like as much as a 25 30 percent chance of some kind of a debilitating injury like the Bucks experienced with Chris Middleton last year that's going to derail your title hopes as well so no I would not take the Celtics over the field I, I still think philly cleveland possibly could be heard from as well another one we could do also uh, miami uh, also miami yeah, sorry. i also wholehearted I, <laughs> I i don't need to really bear too much on that um because i agree with all of it um one from from costa why is the celtics defensive rating no longer at the top of the league um is a reason they'll naturally resolve itself is it robert williams and the answer is a little bit of everything remember that last year the celtics actually had the second lowest opponent three-point shooting percentage in the league generally speaking you expect a regression of the mean there but also they're giving up an unsustainably high opponent a field goal percentage on long twos and floater range shots Robert Williams will affect that in kind of a different way because he changes the shots that you get and also the Celtics are you know their roster has been a little bit different they've been amazing on offense but I think the idea is that they are still a good defense they're without Robert Williams they're not an elite elite defense well the biggest thing to me is turnovers that's, right that's why I mean you just when you're they've been 30th throughout most of the year are, are they still 30th I think they're pretty close. They're 27. Okay. Yeah. So they've, they've made a slight improvement there, but yeah, I mean, they're only forcing and Milwaukee is, isn't great there either. These, those are two teams that have very good defensive personnel, but Milwaukee has the crazy rim protection that the Celtics haven't been able to get so far either. So, and, and they've just been playing kind of a very conservative style. It's also Danny makes it that offensive performance, even
even more incredible that it's not juiced by getting turnovers on the defensive end. You talked about sure. how just preposterous their half court offensive rating. Well, and and been. and Nate on that front, an interesting thing with Boston, I hadn't looked this up before. I don't think there's a huge margin between them and the pack. Boston's actually 25th in half court defense right now. Interesting. Yeah, so it's a lot of it is just keeping teams out of transition. Yep. Number one in opponent um opponent proportion of possessions in half court. And they've their transition defense, which I think is always noisy this time of year, they're giving up a low transition points per play so far. Yeah, I think the pr- percentage of plays you allow in transition is less noisy, but right. the results of that, you know, teams are missing some threes or whatever in transition. It's a pretty small sample. But yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that it points out to me is just it's so hard to be awesome on defense if you're not forcing hardly any turnovers and you're not also walling off the rim. And so that, I think when Rob comes back, I expect them to be a lot better. And also, frankly, in the playoffs, I expect them to be a lot better as well. They've been playing Cornet and Hauser. And I think once they really lock in and also like, frankly, they haven't needed to. I, I mean, I think you see that a lot of times for teams that are, that have been to the finals that know what they are. They kind of get better on offense. We saw that with the Warriors over their run too, where it's just, Hey, like we're, we're 19 to five. We don't really need to lock in that hard defensively yet. So we'll see whether Rob Williams improves that. He supposedly is playing five on five already. And we got so, a lot of, yeah, well, let's, let's, sorry. you want to do, let's do this one from Frank actually, since we were talking about Rob. Do you think the spacing issues that Robert Williams return will bring will be offset by his offensive rebounding? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think that Robert Williams, if I had to guess right now, it makes the Celtics when he is on the, you know, like when it's him versus five out, it makes the Celtics a worse offensive team in part because, you know, they've been the league's best offensive team. And, and I think there are a lot of benefits to playing five out and my inclination. And I know that there are smart people who disagree is that a benefit in offensive rebounds and some play finishing is smaller than just the other team having to defend all the way out with all five, five, five players. So the idea with Robert Williams is he makes you a lot better on defense because he's an amazing defender and that you sacrifice some on offense to do. Yeah. And it's not even that Robert Williams is a bad offensive center. It's just sure. that having someone standing near there. What has been so awesome about this Celtics offense? It's the quick decision. It's been the incredible three point shooting, obviously. And it's the fact that they're getting to the rim forcing the defense to collapse and getting those threes even though they have great three-point shooters so just having someone else under the rim like yeah he can offensive rebound he can get some dunks they can work through him at the elbows as a passer but it's just it's not the same there really are not many centers bob bulgaris actually was tweeting about this a little bit ago there are just not many centers no matter how good they are that are better than just being able to play five out and juicing your perimeter attack so much by simply not having guys in the way and particularly when it's Al Horford shooting in the mid 40s from three this season but obviously he's a good player and he's a guy who doesn't have a ton of weaknesses either that they can play in the playoffs over the the likes of Sayhauser, who's been good for them but I also expect him to get attacked defensively in the playoffs and so yeah yeah Rob's really interesting you know we've gotten a few discussions uh about Rob and like how does he change the matchup uh, against the Bucks as well a couple questions on that and I don't think that he changes things that much I mean they kind of beat it uh the Bucks without him last year and I think he can be useful as a help defender on Giannis but he also can't guard Giannis one-on-one which is kind of a problem and so they can that actually provides Giannis a place to attack that Grant Williams and Horford don't really provide so I think and then also he gives a place for a Brooke Lopez to hang out under the rim and a Giannis to hang out under the rim and really mess up their offense so I, I don't in that specific matchup I don't think he's amazing against the Warriors by contrast I thought he was maybe their most important player 
uh, at times. At least that's what Plus Minus said. Anything else on these guys? We got a few more, right? We got a basic question of, is their historic offensive production sustainable? And my instinct is no, just because this is historic. Yeah. And, and the ITD... The, I, I mean, the is... three-point shooting, 41% on this crazy volume, That's that would be very difficult. Especially because some of these guys don't have quite that level like Horford shooting 45 percent for example exactly and but. and the and the general idea like I, I people know I complain about this all the time when people say like oh nobody's you know like nobody's ever done this before in a 30 game sample it's like yeah there's a reason because things generally you know like you have a shooting slump or a couple guys or you, or you bring yeah. a new player no, into nobody, the yeah when it's a 30 game sample it's nobody has ever done this before over a full over a full season, season. Yeah. exactly um, from Robert Noble, has it looked like Sam Hauser can hold up in the playoffs defensively? He's been better overall defensively than I anticipated. But when we're talking about like the conference finals and the NBA finals, I'm relatively confident still that teams will teams will attack him and they will find some success. Well, it depends on what the matchup is. Sure. I think if it's... And who in the East, I mean, maybe the Cavs, you know, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland. Yeah, okay, that probably would be a difficult difficult one for him if they're going to be switching. Uh, now, of course, keep in mind, too, a lot of these teams, like if it's the Cavs, Robert Williams can just stand under the basket because they have two non-shooters at the big positions, and Sam Hauser will look a lot better defensively sure. in that. And there isn't really a group, like the Bucks don't really play that the, kind the of mismatch. The Sixers could be a problem. Yeah, that's the one where, and Maxi even is not like that great one-on-one but Harden obviously is one and we'll just have to see where he's at the Nets maybe but the Celtics seem to kind of have the Nets number anyway but he's been a solid defender at that position I would say given the type of player that he is but as a four man, eh, you know, I, I would suspect he'll end up maybe kind of getting minimized from the rotation depending on the matchup. And I, I think he would be in big trouble against like the Warriors or the Clippers or uh, probably the Mavs as well. Let's see. Any other ones here? Uh, Davis Gross asks, has Tatum got that dog in him? It's the only unanswered question about Boston besides health. I, I don't, I'm not sure exactly what that, I, I think of that more as a really like a defensive thing and a rebounding thing and a playing hard thing. You know, there are a few, a few players who are like, like offensive players that you maybe you wouldn't say it about like James Harden and his kind of failures in the clutch would be one where you're like okay you probably wouldn't say that about James Harden but I I think J- Jason Tatum has played through injuries I think he's shown plenty of toughness on the defensive end he's guarding KD last year for example I think he just didn't have either the energy or just the explosion to get separation against the Warriors in the conference final or in the NBA finals and that's kind of why it fell off I mean but you consider his progression he gets better every year he works extremely hard so I I would say yes it's just a question of whether he can be when the game really slows down and you go to isolation basketball whether he can be the guy that's like getting too on the ball for this team in every round against the best defenses like he's had moments like that but I want to see especially against a team that's switching not that there are that many of those whether he can really beat guys or not the number two team net rating wise in the eastern conference right now is the Milwaukee Bucks they are 16 and 6 a robust 5 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 including a win over the Charlotte Hornets I watched a fair amount of that where none of their three best players played though Brooke Lopez is still plenty good um, they're fourth in net rating, 13th in offense, and still first in defense. Both Raptor and Elo have them second in the East. Raptor with 53 wins, Elo with 51, and the Bucks are are going to make the playoffs. One would think so. And 
Let's start here. Greg Roth says this, and I wanted to bring this up because I haven't gotten your opinion on this yet. It was apparently a little controversial in Brewtown. Uh, not a question, but just wanted to say I'm a huge Bucks fan. I 100% agree with your ranking of the organization. John and I had them. I don't think we've officially done it yet. But we had them, I think, both in the 11 to 13 range as an organization, which is probably higher than I've been on the Bucks in the past. And there are most of the comments out of Milwaukee obviously were like they won a championship you're an idiot like how could that be the case but there are plenty of people who support my conception of it as well and this is the the query is for if you haven't listened to the Hollinger pod is just what front office and organ overall organization not including the coach and ownership would we want running a random NBA team and so I mean there, you know there are people like oh you're completely insane but there are enough people that agree with me that I don't think it's completely insane I certainly understand if you disagree that's that's what we do but uh you know no, maybe Maybe not with quite the level of invective that came my way. But in any event, what do you think of that? I know you haven't gone through and ranked all 30 teams, but what do you think of that as a ranking for the Bucks organization? I think it's reasonable. Um, the Bucks ownership does get more credit for their willingness to spend, yeah, which is that's definitely part of why a, they're, a, a, that's part of why they're up for me. A component of it for me. I have disagreed with how they have spent, which is also a factor in the organization grades. And it's a weird circumstance. So like, I mean, you get credit for finding and retaining a player like Brooke Lopez, but generally, and, and acknowledge like that. And, you know, they brought in Middleton and Drew Holiday. So yeah, but, but you, Middleton, we didn't count because that was the, that was already done. Team. And same with the yeah, honest. Yeah, exactly. And of course, same with the honest, but generally speaking, I don't think that the bucks have done a particularly good job on the margins. They, you know, minimum salary players, they did get Wes Matthews for, uh, for multiple stretches of time to, to come his connections to the Milwaukee area are a factor in that and they've you know those kind of late end draft picks haven't really borne a ton of fruit for them and a lot of it is also just I haven't fully supported the the theory of the case and some of them have worked out better you know Bobby Portis was an important part of their championship run and we'll acknowledge that but the decision as it were to choose to spend on 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 him and Grayson Allen instead of PJ Tucker or someone else who is more of a playoff player it's not the reason they lost last year Chris Middleton being hurt is the reason they lost last year but it didn't help and part of what's been challenging for evaluating the Bucks front office is a they have a generational superstar which was not acquired by this administration yeah and that makes life easier on everybody else I've been extremely critical at times of the Warriors front office and for kind of making similarly flawed decisions decisions and with the bucks there's also the idea that when it's failed there have been other reasons for it and so it's hard to fully fully go there so i my first instinct when you said it also doesn't include the coach is i actually probably would have gone a little lower but not much yeah that middle was was quite the morass i'll sure. get your thoughts on it once we actually come out with our full rankings but uh a bunch of questions here from zach from sam on trading for jay crowder uh zach says he doesn't think it's in their best interest sam says if they trade for him and joe ingles is reasonably close to the guy for two seasons ago how do you handicap series between them and boston uh so yeah i mean i guess just general thoughts on a crowder trade for milwaukee Giannis's extended struggles as a shooter have made me less enthusiastic about a crowder trade when it comes to the bucks because it makes them easier to defend and jake and i mean jake crowder can be a very capable defender i think he has been for the for the Suns the last few years but i also like crowder more as a four defender than a three and so that means where do you 
wherever you fit him in in the Bucks rotation. There's a reason why wings are so damn hard to find. That said, I think a Jay Crowder trade, depending on who they give up, probably makes the Bucks better because Jay Crowder is a good basketball player. So I'm less enthusiastic than I think the average Bucks fan and maybe the average media member about how you know about how much it moves the needle in a positive direction. But I do think that if you can add a good player in the rotation, my big question with it is, okay, Jay Crowder makes 10.2 million right now. What is the pathway that that people expect this to happen? We assume that Giannis, McChris, Drew, Brooke, all not included within the trade. I'm going to assume that Bobby Portis probably isn't either. So is this something involving then Grayson Allen, presumably? Yeah, I mean, hilariously, it could be. What if it were Joe Ingles? <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be I, that, bizarre. That's but... not a great look to trade a guy before he's ever even played for you. But maybe maybe that would happen before the trade deadline. Yeah, and do um, it for a guy who hasn't played for you when you signed him injured. It's very different yeah. than like, oh, he got hurt in camp, like or something like 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 Gallinari, let's right. say, where it could happen in that circumstance. But Ingles was hurt when they signed him. Yeah, for me, I you never know with guys even in their early. 30s who have a 3 and D skill set do they just fall off enough that they can't stay in front of guys do they Jake Crowder is very much waxed and waned as a shooter over the years although he will take them we will tell you that but it, it comes down to two things for me one is who is he replacing and I think he's could be an adequate shooter and an adequate defender and he allows you to just play differently not that you're necessarily going to switch all the time you can at least do it late clock but either a when Brooke Lopez is out of the game and it's not a, or when it's not a great matchup for him you know if you're going to go five out with against the Celtics or it, you play the Warriors in the finals or something like that or maybe the Clippers he just gives you another look so that that's part of it to where you can play differently on both ends you can unleash Giannis maybe a little bit more as a roller that way although you know Jay and Brooke Lopez, you know, who has more gravity as a shooter, like Brooke shooting it well this year, but Jay, maybe he'll shoot. He can come off a screen a little bit more. He's going to get guarded by a smaller player. So I, I don't know about that one on offense, but it's also that he's replacing Bobby Portis or Grayson Allen or George Hill probably in the rotation or, or a Jordan war or something like that, where, or if there's less effectiveness from Connaughton or Matthews, he gives you another guy with a similar skill set there. And so that to me is about Bobby Portis. Every time he's in a pick and roll, you have to put two on the ball that kills your defense. Grayson Allen, other than a weird stretch in game seven against the Celtics, got completely lit up anytime they went at him. And so just to remove that weakness, that to me could push this Bucks defense to being just completely ridiculous. Whereas they're still like, they were still really good last year, but to just be like, okay, there's just nowhere to attack here now again, kind of the way you felt in 21. Like it could get their playoff defense back to that level. Whereas I felt they just were not at that level a year ago. And that's also because they were missing Middleton, who's a, a reasonable quality defender as well. And, and then quickly on Sam, Joe Ingles, reasonably close to the guy from two seasons ago. You know, being able to knock down shots would be huge. Again, I think it depends kind of on the matchup that he's in. Like, because he still couldn't stay in front of anyone two years ago. He was and, very flammable. Yeah. And, and then also you throw in, like, he's he's just not going to be the guy from two years ago. Like, it's just not going to happen. I, I don't think he was already playing poorly last year. And then he got hurt, tore his ACL, and he's 35. So I, I think it's just very unlikely. Maybe I'll, he'll prove me wrong. I hope he does. He's a really fun guy to watch play. You give him a little pick and roll juice. They are very high on him. And obviously just having someone who can fucking make a shot for them in the playoffs would be really nice. 
but I'm I'm skeptical. Adam asks if there is a better star in the league, so distinctly not a superstar that fits better with Giannis than Chris Middleton. It is a great fit, and I like Middleton's ability to get tough baskets. Like it's nice to have that on the team with Giannis because he can't he can do it. But having that, I still think though that a dominant a dominant pick and roll player who is a good floor spacer would be a better conceptual fit than so, the Bucks. So we're have. thinking we're thinking lower end all star here. Yeah. So like you, theoretically, yeah, give me a name. Yeah. Darius Garland. Hmm. No, I disagree. I would rather have Chris Milton than Darius Garland for these guys. Well, I'm just saying more as a conceptual fit. Like you, cause, cause Milwaukee just have, have that flow with their offense and like what you could do with it. And Giannis can still be his freight train in transition. You can still run stuff through him if you want. I think that one of the, you know, not an elite point guard, but that kind of whatever would classify under Adams. I think that's a, a better fit though. Chris Middleton being that wing, you know, having that wing size is very valuable too. I am not yeah, saying, I'm not I, saying it's a, it's a close, like it's a, it's an easy call. It's, it's a close call for me, but in terms of maximizing around Giannis, I think a point guard does it. Yeah. I disagree just because of the, of the defensive versatility. Like Chris, he doesn't really have any weaknesses as an offensive player. He's a really good passer. He can isolate against certain guys. If, the other team is switching which hey, garland can kind of do that too but it, milton does it in a different way from a different range and he holds up defensively like he doesn't have a target on his back like the bucks to me can't afford another guy with the target on their back like, so i i would rather have milton than gary darius garland on this team is there anyone else that kind of comes to mind for you well i would say the point guards of that kind of ilk you know that's the the that you know if they can credibly space the floor they can run a pick and roll then i, I and i don't know where again where we're drawing this line like they could they could do that yeah, i would l- be- lower end all-star like a you know a yeah. top 35 player in the nba and especially because the Bucks have the ability to to cover up for a lot of those guys' weaknesses defensively. So, like, I mean, I think Giannis and Tyrese Halliburton would be an awesome fit, you know. And and it is true that you're creating a different need, and you're also minimizing Drew. But we're not considering Drew in this exercise. This is just Giannis plus X. So yeah, as a fit with him, yeah, I guess that's fair. I mean, or like you know Jamal Murray, you know that that mm-hmm. level of player. I think I probably would rather have Middleton at least as he's been previously. Now he may be at a point where he's starting to slow down a little bit, and and that might change my tune there. Third, all right, let me try and guess it again. Third in net rating, Eastern Conference is the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yes, only point one behind the Bucks right now, even after their loss to the New York Knickerbockers on Sunday. The Cleveland Cavaliers are 15 and 9 on the season, 5 and 3 since the last 15 and 60. They are 5th in net rating, plus 5.4, 10th in offense, 2nd in defense. Both Raptor and Elo project them to win 49 games and finish with the third best record in the East, which gives them roughly a 90% chance in the in to to make the to make the eight team Eastern Conference playoffs. And it's funny, some of these questions actually have some parallels to the stuff we talked about in the Bucks, including mention of a Jay Crowder question. I don't like answering a question by Mark Edwards when you consider my history with that name. <laughs> But um, basically, his his question is really interesting, and that is what level of success with Evan Mobley at center would make Jared Allen expendable? What would a Cavs roster built around Mobley at center look like? And yeah, I think this is like kind of inspired by the fact that they played really good defense of, against Embiid last week, and it was an interesting strategy. They started uh, what's his, his first name? Uh, is it it's Mo Diakite? Yeah, his exact... a, a, U, a UVA player. Oh, so but, yeah, be happy ma, you ma, did. Be happy you did it on this podcast and not not with John. 
Yeah, and the thought was to just get a second guy with some length that could kind of scramble around. So, and they're going to double team Joel a lot. So it was so he couldn't overpower Mobley. That was a matchup he wasn't supposed to do well in. But the the really nice strategy by Jamie Bickerstaff. They completely throttled the Sixers, who have actually been playing well. Um, here's the thing about Mobley at center: if you if they had any ammo left to trade for someone to play the four next to Evan Mobley, not to mention the three, like they don't even have a three right now, right? So I mean. You're maybe you'd say you'd go with well then you theoretically in this circumstance you'd be including jared allen and so you could get somebody good for jared allen i think i mean i i here's the thing though i don't like it's who is making that trade as good as jared allen is who's going to trade big for wing that trade just doesn't exist if you if it does exist it's for a guy who's a lot worse player than jared allen and I, i think the Cavs they with the two small guards they need to have certainly 48 minutes of rim protection and hopefully and, and they're also they're also not going to switch like you can't do yeah, a switch yeah. heavy scheme when you have Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell so the the part of the idea you know there we've made comparisons about with Evan Mobley and Bam for years because there are like the the faint outlines are actually kind of similar and you can't have Miami scheme versatility with Bam with Evan Mobley with Cleveland's roster like you can't do it like there isn't there is another way there and so then theoretically, if you're you, the idea would be if you can get similarly good rim protection, you know, that kind of stuff and have more floor spacing, you can do that. But Jared Allen is a wonderful play finisher, to be clear. And I don't think Mobley, you know, like the, they would have to be really, really good defensively to put the numbers on it for right now. The Cavs, when when Mobley is listed at center per cleaning the glass, they have a 110.8 defensive rating, though it is very important to note randomly Cavs opponents are shooting 45 0.5% from three in those circumstances. So you can expect some improvement by the shooting regressing to the and, mean there. And also a lot of those minutes are with Kevin Love at the four. He's not really a quality yeah. defensive option. And a lot of times too, that's even a lot of times too. that's with Dean Wade at the four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, though, if it's Love, like he's almost playing center still defensively and Mobley is still on the perimeter. So you're not getting as much room protection there. But and, it, and Nate, I, you, yeah. you want to guess what, what of the four factors the Cavs have been truly terrible at defensively when Evan Mobley's been at the five forcing turnovers no they've been good at that they've uh, been terrible on the defensive glass that's surprising uh especially if Kevin Kevin Love no they're usually not playing with Kevin Love so that's right, just, so, just yeah I guess it's just yeah it's more it's more often Wade yeah it's more often Wade and yeah. sometimes actually Jetty Osman so that's pretty small um so anyway yeah I mean I, it's just you're not going to get a player as good as Jared Allen and certainly not a, on a salary match either that's the other thing Jared Allen is four more years at 20 million a year it's an amazing contract so I'm just not sure who the player is I mean, I guess the thought would be, all right, you get a really good 3 and D3 and a really good 3 and D4, and now you're cooking with just more of a spread pick and roll style. But yeah, I think you're just, even with Evan Mobley, as brilliant as he is, you're just not going to be good enough defensively there. I think they need, the way this team is going to be built is that they're going to be awesome on defense. And you do that with the Twin Towers. You make yourself weird and hard to play against. And teams, in theory, will struggle with that. We'll see how that actually ends up turning out. We got a question from Adam Black. Any chance the Cavs could trade for Jay Crowder to alleviate their problem at the three? I think of Jay Crowder as pretty much a pure four at this point. I mean, you could, if you really wanted to do it, and you could you could try it out. But just defensively, I think Crowder is better in kind of the, what you ask a power forward to do. And would well, particularly because 
they need someone who can guard opposing point guards as yes. well. Like that's a, Crowder might work okay with those two bigs behind him guarding opposing wings, but they're still a, a little light in terms of backcourt defenders sure. with Mitchell and Garland there. And that was part of the, the theory with with Okoro. And what based to then like would the Suns take a trade involving Karis Levert? Levert makes roughly eight million more than Jay Crowder. He would make their rotation better. Yeah. Maybe the Suns will not be taking out money. No, but maybe they could reroute Karis Levert to a third team. Karis Levert was traded for a first-round pick not that long ago, but it's... I don't see that as a trade Phoenix. I, I don't see Phoenix getting into that business because Jay Crowder, you need to you need to get a player who can help you, but Karis LeVert doesn't really solve their problems and kind of poses some new ones. And having his bird rights isn't that intriguing for Phoenix, even with new ownership, because what are you paying for? Are you paying like I don't think you want to use Karis LeVert as the heir apparent to Chris Paul whenever Chris Paul falls off. Like he's not that's he's not a good enough fit with Devin Booker for that. So So you have that. I also don't think of Jay Crowder as a player who hears what ails the Cavs, even though it's sure ailing them, especially with Dean Wade out. We'll talk more about that the next time we do news. And then from Alex Lang, are there any realistic moves the Cavs can make before the deadline to improve their forward rotation? I don't have a great target. Like that's just uh, because the fundamental problem is they're looking for a three and threes are incredibly hard to get. And also important to remember that Cleveland is still out because of the Don Mitchell trade, which is still looking better for them. They're out so many first round picks in the future that you're basically saying, can you get somebody for the guys they have on the books? Like maybe somebody like Karis Levert and some seconds. And so you're not even, you're not even looking at blue chip threes. You're looking at like, I don't know, some sort of worse chip threes. <laughs> yeah. What, what is the, the next lowest uh, below blue chip? I, I guess they're just, not many guys around it. Let's take a look at it here. Yeah. Kelly Oubre? Could they get Kelly Oubre? They might be able to get, get Kelly Oubre. What's the matching salary there, though? That, that becomes a question, too. I think they probably would value Levert more than Kelly Oubre. Uh, you know, uh, Os- Osmond gets them yeah. pretty close. Okay. That, that would get them into the tax, though, which they're not going to pay this year. Yeah, but like you could, do Os- you could do Osmond and Dylan Windler or something like that. Like they're- Yeah. I mean, Royce O'Neal, if the nets implode okay uh maybe uh, maybe that that would be the best i think they could get to at this point i I don't think eric gordon they don't have a first to trade i think houston's not going to trade eric gordon unless they get a first uh you know will barton that's that's the level of guy you're looking at here maybe give you one more body but i don't think you're getting anyone who you would be better to say than dean wade honestly and and levert's had some moments he's also had some bad moments but uh you know i don't know that any of those names I mentioned are like so much better even than okay Nate I'm gonna give you a hint for for not a hint of the no team. no 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 hint no, no this is just... this is what it is okay. the next Eastern Conference team is 12th in net rating oh baby the Brooklyn Nets no close but no Philly close but no shit uh I think the Pacers are pretty well in the negative now um Raptors yes there we yeah. go yeah they, they they had that 40 point blot of the Spurs <laughs> mm-hmm yeah, they had that 40-point yeah. blowout of the Spurs. Um, the Raps yeah, so, are now 12, they're yeah, 12 and 11. I'll, I'll, I'll on do their stats. You, you get to do the stats sure. every time. Uh, get to? I, I, got okay. stung, I got stung twice by jellyfish today. Just just give me this, please. <laughs> <laughs> if that's Hey, I didn't think I was giving you a gift. I thought I was giving you a gift by doing the stats. So there you go. Okay, okay. Well, 
Uh, so the Rabs are 12 and 11, uh, three and three since we last checked in on them. 12th in net rating is 1.6, 14th on offense. Incredible that they're 14th on offense given their half court struggles. Eighth on defense. They project for the six seed, 47 wins with Raptor, 44 with Elo. They had a weird game over the weekend, the TJ Warren return game. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more in the Brooklyn section, but they got completely waxed by like 30 in the first. Kind of got back into it, but it was one of those kind of dead cat bounce comebacks uh 84% chance to playoffs raptor 70% elo what do we got here for questions from nba scuba what's up with scotty barnes forget taking a leap um like basically question about like with how with the raptors development reputation and with nick nurse is he regressing and it it is something like this came up a little bit with best sophomores that like i mean scotty barnes is having an objectively worse season than he did last year and that's despite improving his three-point shooting so he's up from 30 percent to 33 on a higher volume per everything and but the, but he's fallen off in terms of free throw attempt rate and Barnes has fallen from 54% on twos to 49% on twos which is definitely concerning he's Scotty Barnes last year shot 71% in the restricted area that's down to 64% and he's do, basically doing worse from every other two point area but that's the one that really stands out to me so he's getting to the line less and he's doing worse in the restricted area and the Raptors spacing isn't always amazing but it wasn't always amazing last year either yeah so the biggest reason why he's struggling is I would say two things. One is that he had to take on more as a playmaker with Van Vliet out and, and obviously with Siaka missing, I think, the 10 game as well. Isolation is now his number one play type 17% of the time. And isolation is tough, even for the best guys. Uh, 0.79 points per possession, 26 percentile. Not very good. He's 20 of 48 from the field there. And he almost never gets to the foul line out of those plays. It's And when you watch it, it's, all right, he'll kind of put guys in the mix a little bit. It can look impressive, but it almost invariably leads to a mid-ranger, right? What I would really like to see more of from him is him getting the mismatch against a smaller player and then really trying to beast that guy. Whereas it seems like it's face-up, mid-range jumper a lot of time with those. I think it's, it's pretty inexcusable for a guy at his size and athletic gifts to be taking as many mid-rangers as he is and shooting below 50% from two. What else sticks out in terms of the statistics? Because that's the biggest thing watching him is just like, hey, they're letting him take a bunch of like, you know, pretty bad shots, honestly, that he can't make. Right. That's it's it's a big part of it. And so Scotty Barnes last year, he was 0.863 points per possession synergy on catch and shoot shots. And he's basically he's within the same ballpark. He's a little bit better there this year. And then his his kind of self-created stuff is actually kind of as you mentioned, it's been it's been worse. And one of the things that you can do on Synergy is is shooting like at the rim. And Barnes, he's been less efficient this year than last year, and he wasn't super efficient last year either. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. You and I have never been the biggest fans of Barnes defensively as well. He's in a very favorable ecosystem with so many good defensive players there. He doesn't usually get super tough assignments. I don't think he's great at staying with people either. EPM still likes Barnes defensively, but it's not It's not particularly, like, I, I'm not particularly persuaded. Let's put it that way. So, like, and, and I'm sympathetic because the ecosystem offensively, as you mentioned, has not been as, as favorable they, relative to even what the Raptors expected because of Siakam and Van Fleet missing time, including missing time together. 
But for example, Franz Wagner hasn't had a favorable ecosystem either. And no, he has no, looked, he hasn't. He has looked significantly better this year than Scotty Barnes has. The other thing I can point to, too, you mentioned just the overall finishing around the basket. I mean, some of these play types on synergy, too, right? Like cuts. Normally, you know, that would be you're getting a, a pass on a dump off. You, you can go right up. It's only 20, 12 out of 22 on cuts around the basket, right? Like that's just not a very good number for a guy with his size. Offensive rebounds, even. Uh, he doesn't put those back exceedingly well. I think it's also noteworthy that he's only had six possessions as a pick and roll roll man. He's been asked to do a lot with the ball. And then he also hasn't been that good in transition. But I think one of the biggest things that I've noted about him too is he'll get up for some big dunks off of one foot. Like when he gets ahead of steam going to the basket, we've seen some like big highlights there. But he doesn't have amazing two-foot explosion. You don't see the highlight dunks that way. I think he can struggle to finish inside when he's being jostled a little bit. And that's another thing that I can point to. So I I think they're, they definitely like, they know what they're doing. You know, they did this with Pascal Siakam. I would watch him dribble the ball up and like get it stolen by Marcus Smart early in his career. I'm like, what the fuck are they doing? Like this, this guy isn't that good. And oh no, actually turned out to be really good. So I trust them, but he's not ready for the responsibility that he has yet offensively. And that's why his efficiency has been bad. Question from Josh, what is the delta, so the difference between what Fred Van Vliet would have gotten in unrestricted free agency between last summer and now? So I I think of that more as just basically how has his value changed during this year? I mean, I always caution people, extremely small sample sizes. I don't think NBA teams are going to read too much into his struggles in 17 games, especially as he's been dealing too much with injuries. Van Vliet's 28, so it's not a circumstance where it's like, oh, he's 32. He might just not be the same guy anymore. So I think the Delta is extremely small. Well, he's not going to make the All-Star team this year, I don't think. I agree. That's a big, that's a big difference. And he's gone from 20 points a game to 17, two-point percentage from 44 to 39, and probably most importantly, three-point percentage from 40 to 37. And it, if he's not at that 40% uh, he, from three, Sorry, um, he's thir- from 38 last year to 35. Oh, yeah, sorry. I was looking at his overall field goal percentage. Excuse me. Thank you. Um, yeah, so that, that's even maybe more of a drop-off. And also, his, his usage has gone down a little bit, too. So I think... He hasn't been the same force in the pick and roll in the half court offense. And not that he was unbelievable at that either. And they're running more stuff through Siakam these days. Barnes is getting a little bit more. So I, I wonder, I wonder I, that we may, it might go down enough maybe that he would take an ex, the extension from them, the 120% starting at like, you know, 24, 25 million. Uh, you know, that, that that could be interesting. I think there is a little bit of a, particularly because last year was the, the high water mark. That's a really good point. Right. And so I think this is kind of pushing him more down into like that Brunson sort of class, as opposed to you know, when you have that all-star next to your name, it affects your market, which probably shouldn't. Um, you know, I think he was a deserving all-star last year to be sure, but also, you know, he's not the type of guy, oh, this guy's a perennial all-star. You know, he's, he's, he's not Kyle Lowry. He's a very well, good right. flexibility there's, of Kyle there's, Lowry. There's also the concern with Fred Van Vliet, which I felt last year too, but it's even more prominent so far this year that he is a very good player, but he isn't the engine of your offense. Like what makes Fred Van Vliet best is playing alongside other really good players. And he, and so if that's what your team is looking for and you think about who's going to go super aggressively for a point guard, 
you're that's probably the needs you're identifying if you have the yeah. other stuff together then i mean it, maybe there's a perfect storm i haven't really thought about free agency in the context of fred van fleet yet to see whether that's there also partially because i fully expect him to resign with the raptors well and we when we went through about two weeks ago looking at the teams that have cap space he is a fit in all those places so that could be another part of yeah it like detroit just, and a couple of those i haven't yeah. yeah and those teams would be trying to get better as well like your orlando your detroit like you would be a great fit there houston he'd be a great fit there so all three of those teams are gonna be trying to get better and all three of those teams are gonna have a ton of cap space and so that could just end up overwhelming this but i, I would say just generally if you think about what the guy's value should be like I think it has gone down a little bit, but it may just not end up mattering because there are so many suitors for his services. Um, from We Some Indie Animals, um, what realistic trade would be able to grease Toronto's half-court offense? And it's hard. I mean, the, when you consider they have a deep rotation, they have a lot of guys, and a, a theory of the case that does not center around half-court offensive players. I mean, it's... If you if they wanted to trade one of their good defensive players, one of their core players for for a better offensive force at point guard or another position, they'd get better that way. I don't see Masai Ujiri identifying that as a strong enough need to move somebody who actually matters to the Raptors. So I don't think that they would want to or that the player is out there who could be a playmaker for them, right? You might, like, they've already got Fred Van Vliet. Maybe you'd say Mike Conley is someone that they could get in there, but that kind of really hurts the theory of their team, and uh, he's probably not better than Van Vliet uh, on either end at this point. So your number two option would be to just get more shooting. And I think Eric Gordon could fit in pretty well to what they wanted to do. Ooh, I like that. And they've got decent ammo in terms of salaries. You could throw Thad Young in or like a Boucher, something like that to, to get you there. I don't know if they would want to go a first for him or maybe it could be one of these things where they swap their first for Houston second I don't know if Houston would want to do that maybe Gordon would just want to get out of there then though would they guarantee Eric Gordon the next season for 20 million that's a lot of money for him uh maybe there would also be they think about moving Gary Trent uh, on as well or so, or or doing the trade involving Gary like having Gary Trent in the first trade yeah yeah the, the Rockets need like more guys who are going to take bad shots I think that's their that's what they need uh so but yeah outside or uh I mean, maybe if the Hawks kind of fall apart, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich would be another interesting Ooh, I like guy that too. for them. But yeah, I mean, I think just like a really reliable bomber who fits into what they want to do defensively, that's the realistic guy that they could try to get. You know, I don't think Seth Curry is probably a little too small for them. Like, I, I don't, the way that they want to play, I think having just a small guard out there is just not really going to work for them. You know, same thing with like a Terrence Ross. I, I don't think that he's too bad defensively. The return. Amazing. How is he still on, on the Magic? I mean, I could I could see them going after Kelly Oubre. I mean, it, he's not going to juice your half-court offense, though. Well, that's true. Yeah, you're looking for somebody who's a more consistent gunner. Let's just see them go after Patrick Williams. That would that would juice their half-court offense. We got to turn that. <laughs> Okay, who's next here? I guess so. It's either Philly or Brooklyn. I'm gonna go Philly. It's Brooklyn. Damn it. Well, so TJ Warren came back. I guess we we could talk about that briefly before we we hit some of these questions. But let's uh, do but their stats first. Indeed, um, the I, I Nets was gonna get there. Oh, okay. I wasn't the, sure. The, the the venom hasn't completely addled me. <laughs> I don't think technically it's venom from a jellyfish. Uh, my, my sister, who's a marine biologist, could answer this very quickly. I'm not gonna text yeah. her. Well, so yeah, this is, this is a for those who are would like to know. This is uh, a Portuguese man of war. Is 
is what it's called man of war which that's that's a pretty cool thing to say you got stung by they're, they're pretty small jellyfish they're like they're purple but it wrapped its stinger like both of them like wrapped their stingers like completely around me i was just like standing on the shore too with the baby and that's like and, and she she was also like screaming in my ear for 30 minutes while my wife surfs it that was a tough 30 minutes uh in the Nate, you are household. right portuguese man of war does have venom um yeah. and my mom has been stung by one i believe twice in mexico yeah apparently there's some weather event that's like causing them all to wash up on shore or whatever uh i hate the water that's a story for another time did you say the stats i'm sorry no you were you were going to do the stats <laughs> okay they're 13 and 12 five and three since we last checked in on them they had a that nice win over the raptors at home but then it really stalled out against boston ben simmons is also out for them we'll talk a little bit more about that tomorrow i i guess as well with this calf issues first it is a knee then it is a calf uh they are 1.4 net rating is 13th in the nba 11th on offense 12th on defense both of those seem different from what might be expected they are projected for the eighth seed in raptor 43 wins exact same record in east Elo, exact same seed in Elo, and sixty-eight and sixty-nine percent chance of the playoffs, respectively. So let's let's run through some of the basics of that TJ Warren performance. He came back against the Raps and played 17 minutes off the bench, took 11 shots, made five of them, so 10 points on 11 shooting possessions in 17 minutes plus eight and it always is going to be a process i mean tj warren's missed almost two years of time but you know i you i think you did you watch you watched it uh i i was able to catch up on, on his offensive uh, stuff on on synergy but so, I, I think, so how did you think yeah. he looked well what stood out for me was he definitely did not have the same level of explosion not to be expected that he would for his first game but it looked a little bit heavier as well and some of those because one of the things that we kind of forget as he kind of emerged as this three and D guy in that great year he had in 1920 in Indiana was that he was just a amazing finisher, great in transition. And I thought he looked good there. His knack for cutting, getting out in transition. He had a nice steal uh, from when Thaddeus Young tried to post him up. He's able to get his hands uh, on that as Young uh, went left. TJ was prepared for that. Good, good job. (laughs) You can, you, you miss a two years. You can still remember that Thaddeus Young wants to go left. And, but I thought as he, because one of the things he used to be so good at is just taking off, going into guys' bodies and kind of figuring it out. And he actually had a couple of finishes that way anyway, but he definitely was like kind of struggling to get the ball over the rim. He missed a couple that you would kind of expect him to make, but the touch was still there. I think he he looked like someone who can help them for sure. I, I Is he look like 1920 TJ Warren? Like, you know, not yet, obviously. And we'll see. He had such a shooting improvement that year as well, whether that it can carry over. But we do know that TJ Warren as he was in 1920, could be a guy that could really unlock a ton for this Nets group as a small ball power forward or a three, someone else you can defend on the wing as well. I mean, so even I, even at a more basic level, a capable rotation player can can help the Nets. And they've been a lot better over the last couple of weeks. I mean, the Nets have won four of their last five, falling only to the Boston Celtics. And then before that, they even were, they had some some good wins before that. But still, having more capable rotation players, especially with the ebbs and flows health-wise for the season, Ben Simmons is missing time, as we've mentioned before. A question from Andrew. Um, what is the Nets' fastest route back to being a title contender? And Are you going to make the snarky response? What is the snarky response here? Trading Kevin Durant. I mean... <laughs> 
It might be. I actually, I maybe I've been, I've been way too much of a Nets optimist at other points. I, if if we're talking low, like not tier one title contender, I think you can make a faint argument, especially that I think Claxton's had a better year than I anticipated. That if TJ Warren gets to be close to 100 percent, and they could do a couple other small things, that they're they're in the like they could punch over their weight and maybe do it. You know, tier two, tier three. That way. But what's hard for the Nets. And I mean, this is the consequence. You could argue this is the consequence of the Harden Simmons trade or anything else is that unless Ben Simmons is significantly better or his trade value rehabilitates to the point that you can trade him for this type of player, it's extremely hard for Brooklyn to improve their overall talent level. Like that's just when a team is extremely expensive, the Clippers have run into this a little bit too, but they've made some trades with Balmer's money that have worked really well. It's so if they're not good enough now, it's hard to imagine them becoming good enough through like off-season additions. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I, th- I think even like retaining TJ Warren, if it would probably be difficult uh, sure. on a minimum. But I mean, I think you made a, a you were going down the path that I was going to go down earlier. Aside from the joking about KD, because that would be the idea that they have no chance with this group. Just everyone on the roster playing to levels that we've seen them play at within the last at couple some years. point in the last two seasons, right? Like whether it's Warren, Joe Harris has been terrible 8.8 per 53 percent true shooting joe harris in his last full healthy season although now he's 31 he was 29 then 66 percent true shooting he was knocking down everything he was driving well he, he was his usage was actually higher and he was a, a quality I, I won't say a great defender but he could hold up well enough within the team system and obviously ben simmons just has not been at the same level defensively I noted this, that even when he was going quote-unquote well, he was very reliant on some difficult fading hook shots that I don't think are really necessarily great shots for him. He hasn't had the same level of explosion. So it may be asking too much for all these guys. Even Kyrie, I think, hasn't been as good this year as he was two years ago. So, and all these guys are a little bit on the downside of the aging curve, except for Simmons, but he has had these injury issues and those are continuing. But yeah, I think they, I mean, the reason, there's a reason that the Nets are good on paper. <laughs> it's because they have players who have been very good within the last two years. So I think the odds are very much against all of them getting there. And there still does feel just kind of like a Murphy's Law aspect to this team regardless. But yeah, that, that would be it for me. Um, let's see here. Uh, got a couple of questions from Hoops Analyst and from Glenn Simonson about Kyrie. Where would Kyrie rank among point guards the rest of the season if you assume he misses no more time for anything else, you know, outside of a couple of games, obviously, for maintenance, which everyone does at this point. So who's clearly better than him? Steph, Ja, Lillard. I would say the Trey, Halliburton, Garland group as well. Drew Holiday? Yeah, if we're inclu- yeah, Drew's so wonderful defensively. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Kyrie... But Kyrie can be. Oof. Can be, yeah. And generally, that Kyrie-KD combination has been really, really good. Less so this year. Actually, that's an interesting question. What's their offensive rating when those two guys are on the floor this year? Um, So I think he'd be in kind of the five to seven or eight range. Um, Shea is... Oh, Shea's also way higher than him yeah, now, too. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, probably, yeah probably... Probably oh, and, the, and Donovan Mitchell, if we're counting him as a one. Uh, we're not. He's the two. In okay. our in our in our, uh, our ranks, he has been. Uh, Chris Paul, we'll see where he's at when he comes back. So, I, I mean, he certainly could get into that top five, but I, I think it's probably more in that five to seven range. He's got his defensive issues, too. Okay, Nate. Kyrie and KD on 117.2 offensive rating. That is 81st percentile. Yeah. So, that's pretty good, but not like that. They need to be at the level of like 
the number one offense in the league with those two guys. And obviously it was a different roster then, but if you want to compare it in 2020 slash 21, because remember they had a a third star. Actually, I'll do it with Harden off. Yeah, exactly. I was going to suggest that. With those two on and Harden off in 2020 slash 21, the Nets had a 122.8 offensive rating which was 97th percentile yeah that that's when it was and even last year i think they were probably 120 i would guess with those two on yeah i just thought last year's sample was kind of weird but yeah 124.5 last year with those guys (laughs) yeah don't ask about the defense though um and then glenn says assuming the nets won't sign him who will want Kyrie next season the lakers Lakers. are the most obvious yeah i mean that seems that seems especially with the lebron falling on his sword to defend Kyrie. the the other teams i mean you could maybe see like in in orlando or i mean maybe troy weaver in detroit i mean that would be such a stark difference from their vision of kate cunningham this well, a lot, year a lot of teams are going to have the mid-level exception danny Yes, that is true. Actually, not even that many will have the non-taxpayer, but there will definitely be some. What What about what about like Charlotte? They can, they can, he and Miles Bridges would be a, a great fit. Yeah. Oh boy. Um, I, I mean, Lakers seems like the one. That that seems like the yeah. But you know, if he makes it through the whole rest of the year with no further issues. Oh, Nate, what a wonderful dream. Can we do a Watfo on that? No, I don't want to. Oh, no, come on. I love these Nets ones. I, but, but seriously, though, like, I, like, I are, what think is, we So what is it? the threshold? Kyrie Irving? Kyrie Irving misses more games due to some a kind non-injury? Of off, some kind of off-court issue. I mean, you know, if it's like two games for personal reasons, you know, like, and there's no indication that there's like any discontent in the organization about it. I, I mean, I think we could just say off-court controversy. Like, we're not going to disagree on whether it's an off-court controversy. So say, does he miss any further games due to an off-court controversy this season? What are the odds? Like, and, and I know this is annoying, but this is also exactly what basically anyone who's trading for him almost has to do this one. I'm going to be what I consider an optimist and say 40%. 40% chance that he, he does misses miss a game time. due to some off-court controversy. I'm going to put it at 30. I think ah. he actually, I think he was just too dumb to know that he was creating a controversy with this anti-Semitic thing. I think he actually has a pretty good, and he also like did make amends for that, I think, as well as he is someone like him reasonably could have been expected to. Like, I think he, he legitimately is trying. <laughs> <laughs> now again i acknowledge the possibility that he can't help himself all right we're done with the nuts i think we are so that means we go to the philadelphia 76ers they are 12 and 11 on the season four and three since the last 15 and 60 their plus 1.3 net rating is 14th in the nba they're 22nd on offense though obviously they've had some high profile absences they're fourth on defense and as Derek bodner tweeted earlier today the sixers had the number one defense in the month of november raptor projects them to finish both projecting to finish fourth in the east raptor with 48 wins elo with 46 raptor gives them a 90 percent chance of making the playoffs elo an 82 percent chance Question from uh, B Serino 21. What is the best trade that could help the Sixers actually become a contender? And Philly is in a very tough, this is going to be a similar story to one that you've heard before. But so let's, let's walk through basically the assets that Philly has. So they owe a first round pick in 23, then a very lightly protected first round pick in 2025. And then a two years after lightly protected pick 
to is so like let's call them 25 and 27 so that basically means the sixers can't trade a first round pick they have no extras they also have these two second round picks forfeited and they also owe a bunch of other ones in the future so when we're talking about a philly upgrade trade we're pretty much talking about a talent on currently Sixers talent deal. We're not talking about giving up future assets in order to acquire somebody. The Sixers also, their cupboard is pretty bare in terms of young players, unless the team really was interested in somebody like Matisse Thibel, who is in the last year of his rookie scale deal and then would be a restricted free agent should a team choose to do that. So really the pathway for a significant upgrade for the Sixers is another team overrating one of their own players. And so I don't think there's like a team that thinks Tobias Harris is their savior right now. And Philly has a lot of really good players. I'm, I'm a big, you know, their, their star players are their star players. And I'm a big fan, as many know, of DeAnthony Melton. And I, you're not going to move Daniel House for somebody significantly better. So the way that the Sixers become a high level contender is that their offense is just absolutely unstoppable. Which one do you want to do next here? It's more of a philosophical question, but this one from Poppy. Embiid's post-ups are down. He said that it is intentional, operating more at the nail and elbow and doing more isolations. His reasoning is that's easier for him to handle double teams and, and scoring. I... Yeah, he's, he says he hates it. The, the questioner Poppy, says he hates yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I'll let you answer first. I just answered the whole question. I think it's actually probably a good thing. And we've seen teams in the playoffs be able to deal with Embiid's post-ups. I mean, a big part of that is it's just easier to get the ball at the nail and you easier to get the ball against a mismatch at the nail too if you run a pick and roll first and now you, you've got the size advantage because you can't really front at the nail there's for a couple of reasons maybe you could but number one then it's much easier to get a passing angle there's all the space behind it and you the defense can't camp out there due to the defensive three second rule in the lane if you're at the nail number two even if you're kind of fronting then you can also just move the ball a quick pass to the other guard out front and then he'll have the angle to lead you right to the rim as well then when you catch the ball it's just harder to double team than when you can bring more guys over to the strong side you throw it to the weak side that's a long pass you might have a two-on-one on the weak side but that's enough time for the defense to rotate over there a lot of times and just the the rotations are generally easier and it's easier again to front in the post and bring help over from the weak side even if you do catch it there a lot of times on the lob someone else will have come over your and you're instantly double teamed against the corner of the backboard even in B that's tough to fight that up um and then you can go left or right very easily as well he just i think he's just more comfortable generally facing up working off the dribble going through his guy's arms for fouls and yeah just the help principles because nba defenses generally their help principles are built on help side and weak side right so if the when the ball is right in the middle of the floor this is another reason why so many defenses try to avoid players getting middle okay well so what's the help side and what's not the help side if the ball is right in the middle who comes to help who doesn't it depends on whether he drives left or drives right and that becomes difficult so if he's playing with another guy who's not a great shooter or with pj tucker like having him in the corner it's an easier pass to there than throwing it from the other side so i think it's actually very good to do it if the guy has the skill level you know like putting Shaq there at the nail wouldn't have worked but if a guy has a skill level and particularly when he can just shoot over guys and then you know use triple threat or jab step fakes I, I think it's actually a great idea for them we got a number of questions about kind of pj tucker and one idea that i wanted to throw out there was like playing other lineups is something Doc well, well can we just throw in like 
PJ Tucker's game log recently because just the number of games where he's taken zero shots is just hilarious at this point. PJ Tucker has taken zero shots in two of their last four games, and he has taken one shot in another three somewhat recent games. What's like the most he's taken during that period? He was 0 for 6 against the Nets. <laughs> on right it was right that was around thanksgiving i believe that was the game and that's the game they won actually they did win that game yeah um yeah i i would like to see like the sixers offense just doesn't have the same flow that miami does like i think pj actually you know he could post up every once in a while he could like drive a close out his floater game was really good last year though probably unsustainably high so like, he is capable of doing a little more i think although maybe he's just he's fallen off a lot but well you know what team you know what team is uh, like both because of their personnel and i would argue because of their coach is really great at using players who aren't in the primary action that's the sixers with doc rivers yeah yeah, it's a, it's a little disturbing, but like, I mean, he could still stand in the corner. Like he's not passing up shots necessarily. Yeah. I mean, PJ Tucker last year had 59% true shooting, though worth noting career high percentage from three, but on 11.7 usage, like that 11.7 usage is almost double the 6.5 he has right now. So like the Heat were asking him to do more and he did more and it worked out reasonably well. I mean, a lot of people just like killing PJ in the, these questions and you know, like they're having a good season, <laughs> right? like uh you know he still is a quality defensive option for them and yeah i realize the offense hasn't been great but like why do you think that your defense is so good right now i mean opponent shooting like but beyond that yeah but like he definitely really helps out defensively and on the boards and just adds overall toughness that this team desperately needs so i i still think i I wouldn't say that the signing hasn't worked out so far i think it's more about what you see well and and also like there are a couple other just very basic points here there are a lot of ways to help your team without taking a lot of shots and it's even though it's been exacerbated by the current absences the Sixers in their healthy forms don't need players who generate shots they need players who can convert the shots that are generated and who do everything else because they have Embiid they have Harden they have Maxi. but one part uh, we got one question that talked about like kind of playing somebody who's a threat and so the idea that I had there I he's not a perfect offensive player either to be abundantly clear but you might go like why would you play Tyrese Maxi, James Harden and DeAnthony Melton together and the answer is because DeAnthony Melton is your best point of attack defender of those three guys James Harden defensively is honestly closer to a if we're if we're talking about a man-to-man system he's honestly closer to a four than a two and so then you get Maxi off the ball where I think he's I think he can do a better job there he's not perfect at anything but he can do a better job there and then offensively it's like okay you're playing Melton in honestly a pretty similar role to what he's been doing before he's going to be off ball he'll be taking shots he'll be pushing the ball in transition and doc rivers has played the maxi harden melton combination this year but only for 110 possessions but here's the thing that's kind of funny about it and i'm not arguing that the sample that these numbers are legit or anything like that the sixers have a plus 15.6 net rating and joel Embiid played four of those possessions so it's basically it's like i think the theory of it offensively and defensively is viable as long as you can play someone remotely competent defensively at the four and or the five good a few questions including from friend of the program 
Josh Lloyd on Shake Milton uh, and uh, Legend 41 Rye says, uh, what is Milton's trade value? Josh says he's been better you know, taking on some usage with their guards out, but how does he fit the, next to the other starts? Like, I think offensively, it's probably fine that, you know, maybe if Melton isn't making shots, like Milton has been a, a pretty good spot up shooter. Zach Lowe actually wrote about that uh, on Friday but defensively terribly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're going up against the box, eh, you know, maybe you can get away f- with it because they don't have like this unbelievable perimeter defensive talent. Uh, you know, if you're going up against Boston, good luck. Uh, I would say if you're going up against Cleveland, probably good luck uh, with him out there. Uh, so I-, I think he's very solid in the role that he's been in. And there are maybe other teams where he could certainly be a capable backup guard score. Uh, and Philly has enough of these guys and, and they don't have anyone in the backcourt who can take the pressure off him defensively when they're at full strength. Uh, so, you know, does he get 10 minutes a game or come in when Maxi's in foul trouble or something like that? Maybe. He's probably better defensively than Maxi. That's uh, damning with faint praise. He's got a little more size than him. And, and so the, I, the, yeah. the question about his trade value, I mean, Milton, he's pretty clearly to me a backup guard and he very reasonable salary this year making his minimum and the team that acquires Milton would get full bird rights on him he's been on the Sixers now for five seasons so that's not a that's I don't think that's a first but it's not a shitty second so it's uh, the, the general rule here would be it's a good second or a young player of interest that would be the general threshold. And yeah. so... But but it seems like guys like this never get traded, though. They really don't. And in part because the structure of those trades, when, especially when Shake Milton is on a good team, it's like, well, why would the other... Why would Daryl Morey rather have, like, a decent second-round pick or this young player? And if it's a young player that Daryl Morey prefers to Shake Milton, then why would the other team be trading that player for Shake Milton? So it requires basically very disparate evaluations of the same prospect that would be the way it would happen. And generally speaking, that doesn't happen because teams overvalue their own guys, not other teams' guys. Last thing here. Well, I could do one quickly. Somebody asked if Paul yeah. Reed can play the four, and my answer is no. I mean, he doesn't have the four spacing to do it. I don't think he has the defensive chops to do it. I like this one from Matt. Compare Maxi to Hero, Simons, and Poole, as Bontemps was talking about him on his pod, uh, that Maxi might be more in that type of range maybe than getting the Mac. But the, another similar player, a guy, point guard or like small shooting guard size, defensive liability, shoots well, scores maybe not a good enough passer to play point guard so there are a lot of similarities there i think that maxi is the fastest of those guys easily the best transitioner transition player of those guys pretty easily uh i think he's producing you know, we'll, we'll see how he looks coming back from the injury he had like a really awesome start and then kind of fell off like the deep threes that he's shooting are, are really exciting i would say he's probably the worst one-on-one score and the worst pick and roll player of that group probably has the worst vision uh, of that group like i, I think he you know, he'll play point guard but he really and, and doesn't have a lot of i i, I would say i like maxi better as a pick and roll player than hero personally yeah i guess it's it, it, they do different things sure like maxi it's but or maxi is kind of like okay he'll shoot the three if the defense goes under or go all the way to the rim and make like 
very basic passes. Hero, I actually think, is a little bit better of a passer, but he also has the problem of not putting as much pressure on the defense as Maxi. That, and that's why I prefer Maxi. But Hero can get a shot more often than Maxi. Maxi has sometimes in either in isolation or in pick and roll where he just he doesn't have the shake to get loose if that initial hard driving lane is taken away or the shot the, the initial shot off the dribble is taken away. Um, you know, his floater can be okay, but it's still not like a shot that you love there. So, but as he's younger than those guys and might have the most talent just because that speed is so otherworldly in a way that the, the other guys don't just like jump off the screen in that respect. So I, I think he's, those guys are pretty hard to value and they're all have a lot of similarities. Uh, but I think also like fitting next to Harden offensively and the transition element is a thing that I think like Maxi probably has a higher offensive upside than any of those guys. Would you agree with that? He's improved so much over the last couple of years. I, I do. And it's an interesting, I, I mean, it's, it's so weird. All of those players have had such, such disparate ecosystems. Like you think about Maxi playing with Joel Embiid also, of course, playing without him last year. Pools shift and rolls, Simons on the Funhouse Mirror team, and then everything the Tower Hero has gone through. But they are like, I, I think in some ways, like the basic outlines are, are very similar. I like the question. Okay, so let me guess our next one here. The next team in net rating that we have not yet done in the Eastern Conference, and I'll continue to stall as I scroll down the list and try to guess, that is the Atlanta Hawks. Correct. Yes. The Atlanta Hawks are 13 and 10, 3 and 4 since we last checked in on them. Bit of controversy. We'll save that till tomorrow. The uh the McMillan Trey Young. I can't believe Trey Young is clashing with another coach, but the Hawks still in the positive, 0.7 net rating. That's 15th in the NBA. They are 18th on offense and seventh on defense. Fifth seed is what Raptor projects for them, 47 and 35. Elo likes them at 45 and 37. The projection systems have liked them throughout the season and still pretty good chance to make the playoffs. 83% raptor 77 percent elo can i answer a question that's directed at you so bark barclay barclay <laughs> said basically like asked uh, he framed it in terms of you but basically said you guys have had a positive view of trey young's offense before and it seems like that's been negative like that like it's not as strong right now trey young has is having a significantly worse offensive season than any of his previous seasons. so last year trey well, i don't young, know about any of his pretty like he's oh maybe not his rookie, rookie year like that was yeah. yeah but you know what i'm saying like as after trey young's ascendance he's been you know 58 59 true shooting and the hawks have also had especially in the recent years of that they've had one of the league's best offenses and obviously there's context that can go into that trey young currently 55 true shooting 30 on threes 47 on twos and the hawks offense has been above average but not elite when he's been on the floor so the idea that be, we're being lower on trey young is because he's been worse there that i i i do really enjoy i'm not going to get it exactly right tim tim kawakami's phrase on this which is basically like praise when warranted criticism when warranted yeah to say that the stat profile didn't necessarily lead to winning i mean they were the number two offense last year and it wasn't because of anyone else that they had on the team i mean and when you look at estimated plus minus he's been uh, fantastic there he's been six 5.2 6.5 now he's down to 4.3 this year which given how poorly his shooting is actually still pretty good i mean he's, he's still i mean when you talk about scouting you can scout that he's one of probably the top three passers in the nba you can scout that he sets up more dunks than anybody in the nba like that's that hasn't gone away he just hasn't been able to make shots this year part of that might be bad luck but i, I think there is a 
an issue here that because the entire team can't make threes that that really has negatively impacted his performance and that because of his size and the fact that he's not going to ever be a great finisher at the rim and that he really needs guys to be able to knock down shots to open up some of those passes to the basket which he still is getting but not as many of those and obviously his assists are down because guys aren't making the shots that he's setting up at the three-point line either but that because of his size he needs to be able to play that spread pick and roll with guys who are going to knock down shots at the two through four positions and that hasn't necessarily been the case uh, this year so I, I think it's the concern is more about that he needs to be in that kind of an ecosystem and also perhaps that it's tough to make that kind of an ecosystem into a good defense right like the herder bogdanovich gallo those guys are all below average defenders they're all gone now but those are the guys who were making all these threes last year and they brought in some better defenders but now they're not making threes with that group so uh, I, I think it's more maybe that you can say hey this is not portable to every situation uh as opposed to that it's like a scouting versus stats thing because i mean the stats probably would be harder on him than the scouting would be this year right and and like so if you're going back to previous years the hawks had a 120 and a 119 offensive rating when trey young was on the floor each of the last two years so i don't know if you want to go stats versus scouting and trey young was the heliocentric engine of those teams so there i mean we both had him as an all nba player each of those two campaigns so the argument that like trey young was bad offensively or anything like that I, I don't I don't necessarily respect anyone who made those arguments and it was certainly was not the two of us I don't want to do a full scout on AJ Griffin now but we can get into Poku Moose's question and a couple others on thoughts on him so far and I I want I did a partial scout on AJ you did not and one of the things that I was was striking about Griffin is that even though his jump shot looks a little weird it went in and that is still yeah true for him in the pros aj griffin has taken 133 jump shots oh let's just do the catch and shoot ones like so on just catch and shoots 72 and he has 1.2 points per possession on that that's that's very good he's making those shots he's making his jump shots overall he's 82nd percentile there and that i the idea of aj griffin as a complimentary offensive player that part of it has been solid he hasn't been asked to do a ton on ball it's been more in the circumstances kind of more opportunistic which is actually what i like better for griffin than him being ball dominant and preliminarily like i would want to watch a lot more griffin film before doing a full scout his defense has been fine you know not spectacular but it's been fine and the footage of his defensive film at duke was bad so fine is significantly better than that yeah, I, I don't i don't think he's like he's got pretty good strength i don't think he's ever going to be elite moving his feet though no, i don't think so either like it'd be it'd be very interesting to see griffin in a very switch heavy scheme which probably won't happen a ton on the hawks over the next couple years like i i've i've grown much more fond of the strength based perimeter players over the years like mm -hmm. there are ways that you can use guys who are strong and smart but not fleet of foot like like i mean eric gordon's not a comp for AJ Griffin overall in terms of his game but like there are ways to use players with those defensive attributes and so the idea I so I, I would say I, I feel like better about Griffin yeah I think the shooting is legitimate the one thing to be a little concerned about if it could be prime for regression is that he's just been unbelievable on floaters so far this sure. year so uh, he's shooting 54 percent on all twos away from the rim and from three to ten feet he's at 77 percent 
and 58% from 10 to 16. So that's, and like literally every Atlanta Hawk, you know, he's taking almost 40% of his shots as twos away from the rim. And he's not getting to the basket a ton either. In part, they don't have great spacing. And also that floater game has really been working. So I think he could be a totally quality offensive shooting guard. Like, absolutely. I think he can be a starter. I think he's at least not going to have a target on him defensively. I mean, he might, but he's capable, I think, for an athletic standpoint. Uh, of uh, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to interrupt you. I'll wait. I have a stat. Please. Okay, Nate. I don't, you can name them if you, okay. Yeah, let's do it with that. Let's do it that way. Of the Hawks that are consistently in Nate McMillan's rotation. So this does not include Bogdanovich who's played in one game or, or a few others. Who are the Hawks that are taking 15% or fewer of their shots around the basket? That's a very low proportion. Who are the Hawks who are taking 15% or fewer? Yes. Trey? Yep. DeJounte Murray? Yep. I already We already said Griffin. Yep. He's taking 10%. I'm looking at that right now. There, there are two more in their rotation oh gotta be justin holiday yep um one more the most concerning in my eyes of the of all of them yeah i, I the, well the, yeah i was gonna say this deandre hunter yeah so young hunter holiday murray and aj griffin are all taking 15 percent or fewer of their shots around the basket well but they're such a great three-point shooting team tanny why would they attack the basket <sighs> god it seems every it seems like every hawks box score that i look at is like eight of 32 it's incredible downtown I, I, what are the, what are they shooting now as a team i haven't looked at it in like two weeks i'm using cleaning the glasses garbage time filter the hawks are shooting 32.6 percent on threes that is the second sorry third lowest in the nba ahead of only the charlotte hornets and the new york knicks yeah now of course we were telling people that their defense was going to regress and that hasn't happened yet so yeah uh, i mean maybe uh but uh, yeah we'll, we'll talk more uh, i'm sure dan's going to write about it too probably tomorrow i haven't talked to him about it but i it, this seems like a good a good feldman topic the uh, the, the trey young nate mcmillan yeah. scuttlebutt yeah it definitely appears that way um quickly here from zach What's a reasonable package to expect in a return for John Collins? Uh, a first round pick outside the lottery would be the best I would hope for at this point. That might even be, I mean, he's still considered a solid starter, but I don't, a lottery, I don't think he's going to get you a lottery pick no. at this point. And John Collins, if you include the player option, owed $78.5 million in the three years after this season. So I'd say he's in the realm, at least, of properly paid. And so the surplus value, especially, you know, you, we talked about, oh, you know, trading bigs for wings well he's not a wing he's just pure four uh sean what do you think atlanta should do about a congo he's up for extension this offseason sean hasn't been too impressed by him uh and certainly his criticism that a congo is a poor defensive rebounder and falls a lot and hasn't done much offensively other than dunking all reasonable I think Okongwu, what you do is you sign him to the Rob Williams, Wendell Carter contract, and you can deal with having him at that money while you have Capella until Capella falls off or until he leaves the team and then hope that he's good enough to step in as a star. Like you just sign him to a level that, is, all right, this isn't going to kill him. Uh, now he was the number six pick. He's already made a fair amount of money. So maybe he wouldn't be as interested in that type of a contract, but that's, I would offer him, you know, the basically the inflation adjusted version of 12 million a year. And if if he doesn't bite, then we'll see in restricted free agent. And that last part is the most important to me, which is don't go over that number for any reason, because a Kongwu hasn't shown, he hasn't shown that like top 10 center upside to justify committing. Now you can just wait and being, you know, we've seen that restricted free agency as for a non-premium, non-premium restricted free agency for non-restricted free agent is a pretty team-friendly place to be right now. And there's no reason to believe that 2024 is going to be significantly different there than 2023. 
Okay, the next team in net rating in the Eastern Conference is the Miami Heat. It is unfortunate that all these silences are going to be truncated, but yes, the Miami Heat are next. <sighs> so that's going to be like five. So I need to like actually give me give me time to go through and assess who the candidates are. Fine. Eleven and twelve, four and two since we last checked in on them. They're starting to get healthy. Jimmy Butler came back in a tour de force win on Friday against. The Boston Celtics serving notice, perhaps, that Miami is still a dangerous team. They are 17th in the NBA net rating, negative 0.5. Butler, I think, has only played 14 games now, so about 60% of their season. They are 23rd on offense, 9th on defense. Uh, but the numbers with Butler on the floor look a little bit better offensively. They just really struggled without him. Projecting for 46 wins by a both projection systems, that would be the seventh or fifth seed, depending on Raptor or Elo, and 80% chance to play him. Just kind of one big picture point on on the Heat before we get all the way into everything else, and and that's just the stat on. Miami's offense so far this year when both Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero have been off the floor and that group has played 703 possessions which is far more than at this point in the year than Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra would have hoped for they have a 100 offensive rating ah! when, when those player when when those guys are are off and that includes 28.7 percent on threes so yeah that's a you know so so I don't you know the, the whole idea is that you're not going to have too much of that in your sample in an ideal world they have been wonderful defensively with in those in lineups which is which bears it and then there is a concern of like oh bam is it enough to do it but those groups off like i mean especially with some of the guys who aren't hitting shots for the heat so far this year like that that is a reason why you shouldn't be super duper scared about the heat offense and miami would still be if healthy a solid number five and maybe even number four and maybe even possibly number three to me in my east playoff power rankings not the seed that they're going to get mind you but just quality of team going into the playoffs uh so i obviously with butler out and just some of these weird shooting struggles that they've had and especially having like a few games where just everyone was that like a hero missed so much time as well and so i want to see if they can go on a run here now that everyone is back uh which of these questions should we hit on from collapse in orbit do you guys think the heat no, no can... that's a corpse in orbit. corpse in orbit oh okay fine then yeah it's it's, it's very sunny um, it probably would be actually if you're a corpse in orbit it's very sunny out there. uh do you do you think that the heat can reach the ceiling whatever that might be with tower here in the starting lineup still lean towards starting Struess? i i think that there can often be too much of a focus on kind of who is specifically listed as the starter in a game i think that you can get the you can get the overall balance right with Hero and Struess both playing plenty if they're living up to their normal standards. So against the best of the best, Tower Hero is going to be attacked defensively. But I do think when you can kind of consider the Heat's roster as presently constructed, they they need somebody who could do a little bit more with the ball in their hands. And so I, I'm totally, I think Struess at his best is a better player than Tower Hero, but Struess hasn't been that player as much this year. And they, they might just start both of them too, though. Sure. Yeah, that's another potential I mean, solution. And, and then, uh, you know, I know Jimmy doesn't want to quote unquote play the four. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but well, yeah, when it's now Caleb Martin rather than a veteran like PJ Tucker who might be taken out, yeah, maybe you do start both, particularly because as, as you noted, their shooting struggles have been so miserable. But it, there's all, so I mean, I, I think they're probably better, particularly in the starting lineup where you can just go right at guys, you can pick up fouls. I, I think, and Hero just generally has played 
better as a bench player. We'll see if he can shake that. Like, I think it's good to give him a chance to start and see whether he can just take the next step offensively, right? Maybe that's by giving him a chance to start, you're really allowing him. And also, frankly, you're probably helping his trade value potentially in the offseason. Sure. That's another thing. So I think they should keep starting him for now. The East isn't running away, really, other than other than Cavs, Celtics, Bucks, everyone else is easily within range um you know they probably got as good a chance to get in the four seed as anybody i would say right now yeah maybe raptors or sixers probably sixers would be the, um once everyone comes back harden's supposed to come back on one for them but uh anyway yeah so I, I i think i would stick with hero for now and you know we'll see on uh on those um so swole says has bam taken a leap offensively and i haven't really seen it that much personally i mean is there anything that sticks out to you as like his usage has gone up by 1.2 percent and when you consider how many guys have been absent you could have actually expected that to be more disparate than before and his um assists per 36 have actually gone down so far this year relative to last year and significantly below what bam bam was hovering in the five six range in assists per 36 minutes the for a couple of years and then now that's down into the threes the last two years yeah. so and uh seth partno's total usage stats 34 yeah, that's a high number for a center of course but only eight percent playmaking usage you know that's pretty low particularly compared to where he's been in the past and uh you know turns it over a fair amount as well so i, I haven't really I mean, is there anything in like the shot location or like the play type that sticks out to you again i just watching you know, i think he's been asked to do a little bit more with jimmy and hero being out but it's i don't think that like his skill level is so much higher i mean so when you look at kind of the shot location data is taking fewer shots around the basket and transferring those mostly to floater range that's not something that you, it's not like he's changing those to threes or something like that and Adebayo is last year this is using the basketball reference version of it last year 77 percent in the restricted area can field goal percentage this year 72 and slightly better from floater range but those are obviously less efficient shots and that's part of why bam converted 56 percent of his twos last year and it's 54 so far this year he's getting to the free throw line less maybe yeah. he's somebody who watches the heat more and i watch the heat a fair amount like i haven't seen anything really fundamentally new in his game i also think that it's been hard because their best offensive players haven't necessarily been around but no i haven't seen a leap at all and is there a big decline in his percentage of assisted baskets that would indicate that he, he's doing more one-on-one yes actually that so 61 percent of his field goals were assisted last year that's down to 53 percent. so that's that's a meaningful decline yeah and if you want to look at the play type stuff he's working actually more last year on post-ups than he is this year he's gone from 17 percent of his possessions posting up last year down to 10 percent. but iso is way up that's almost doubled from seven percent to 14 percent. so that's doing so he is doing more attacking off the dribble than he was previously so i, I think that's I, certainly i wouldn't consider it a leap i think there's maybe if you look at it there's a, a few more times where he's creating i'm not sure whether that's always so much better at it or just he had to because they're up but it'll be something to watch well 
all once they get whole again. And I will also admit that I haven't been like so locked in on the heat when they haven't been whole uh, as well. You know, I don't, I don't get a ton of value out of watching a team that's got like three best players out. Um, so the, I think that'll be something to lock in on a little bit more uh, as we go on. Still, I, I also think he's you know, right up there for defense player of the year, of course. As well. Sure. But the question asked offensively. Yeah. And also Dan asked a realistic trade target for Miami need more size at the four, but also four that can switch and provide spacing. You know, I think they actually could go with more of a traditional scoring four type, like a John Collins might not actually be terrible for them. The question would just be, I mean, I guess Duncan Robinson would be the matching salary. And and how do the Hawks feel about that? Robinson's still below 50% true shooting, I believe, the last time I saw it. Yeah, although they could use some shooting, and that would actually save them some money. Obviously, the Heat would have to throw in some more there, but that's, I think the Heat also want to save their bullets for a bigger fish that could become available at some point in time. Um, but, you know, John Collins could be interesting, and I think he they could get more out of him than the Hawks have been getting, and I think you know they could get him to defend even better. I mean, he certainly improved in Atlanta. He's not amazing, but he could also maybe play, play some backup center for them and try to solve some of their struggles when Jimmy is off the floor. Like, I think he could play with Bam, and he's got enough switchability that it wouldn't be a disaster, particularly if he's switching out on the on the perimeter with bam then behind him as well and he could maybe provide a little supplemental rim protection when bam switches out of the force it's actually i don't know am i crazy to think that that would actually not be that bad i think it's just hard to make a trade that the hawks accept like that's the problem the heat are not exactly like duncan robinson in a first they you don't think they would do that i i don't i don't probably not my instinct is no at this point in time like like collins is just like absolutely rotting away there he is and and and, and like the other Robinson, problem for Miami yeah. kind of on the on the asset forefront it's funny we got all these like upgrade things from teams that owe first round picks in the future Miami I believe they can trade their first this year they just owe a future one to the Clippers via I think it was the Clippers via OKC maybe something like that um they owe they owe one uh, first oh, yeah it's uh that they owe well it's now two oh OKC. so they traded it to the Clippers and the Clippers traded in the Paul George trade that's right yeah, and that's actually, remember, then they adjusted the protections on it as well so that they would have a little bit more trading ability. Yeah. Um, you know, and Haywood Highsmith is starting to do a little bit more for them too. Mm-hmm. We'll keep an eye on him. I know I'm uh, a big believer in him, but that's, uh, and obviously he has his offensive limitations too, but certainly trading for some, Jay Crowder has been mentioned there too. Dan, obviously. But I think Collins could be an interesting one. It's just a question of, do they want to go in that direction where you get a little bit more more offense like do you think you can get way more out of john collins than the hawks have gotten out of so far because you do it does feel like the heat need more offensive juice and getting like a dominant role man i guess the other problem like is like they don't play a ton of pick and roll but i think he could be like a really a really good role man partner for tyler hero yeah i don't know it'd be, it'd be interesting I, mean, I guess it's just you know, duncan robinson and victor oladipo and the first oh, oladipo can block a trade too from all right let's do one more team here and i have to figure out who they are yes you do all right i have two candidates in mind here all right i'm gonna do it i'm gonna say it's the new york knicks it is not ah! pacers nope what the hell is out there still whiz the washington wizards yeah they're in free fall right now oh you mean because they gave up 55 to anthony davis and the lakers 
Man, Anthony Davis playing this well is making shit real interesting. Yes. But less interesting are the Wizards, but we have to talk about them. Yeah, they're 1-6 in in their last 7, 11-13, and negative 0.8 net rating. So they were, at one point, they were 10-7 and was their high watermark, I think. Correct. And they are 15th on offense, 21st on defense. They also lost to the Hornets. That was bad. They project for the 11th seed and 36 wins through both projection systems. 18% chance of the playoffs for Raptor, 24% ELO. Let's start with our buddy Wizards Film Room, who is a stalwart of the Spotify Live shows. Chris Tapps. If he keeps this play up and stays healthy, is he a no-brainer max, in your opinion? The 7-9 to nine year max at the $134 million cap estimate is $40.2 million as the starting salary. Yeah, and then what's what's the, the total contract? It would be, here, I got it here. For the Wiz, it would be yeah. five, five years, years, $233 million. Jesus Christ. I, my inclination, so Porzingis, I said he, I felt guilty that he he was simultaneously like playing on at a fringe all nba level but also wasn't under all nba consideration because the three centers above him had played significantly better than porzingis so that's that's very possible and porzingis has been has been a lot better you know he when he when he's put it together but the part that makes it no uh, not a no-brainer is Christoph Porzingis is seven foot three. He will turn twenty-eight next summer, and he played seventeen games last season. So I I don't think a well, player se- seventeen games for the Wiz. Oh, sorry, played, yeah, it was played, fifty-one yeah. fifty-one overall, forty-three the year before. Apologies, I was I was misreading misreading the chart. But yeah, we we all know his injury. We all know his injury history. So I I can't I can't put a player as well even if there are even there are on the periphery of all NBA. I can't put a player as big as he is with the injury history he is as a no-brainer max. I just can't do it. No, certainly not a no-brainer max. Now, maybe maybe is for the Wiz. Oh boy. No brainer can have multiple connotations, I suppose. Um now and now I'm wondering whether he can get a no trade, but he can't. Not with the Wizards. But but I think I mean the fifth year is terrifying. So let me ask you this, Danny. What was what's a contract that you would feel adequately or, or I don't even want to say comfortable because there is the injury issue, but like let's let's take the injury aspect out of it. Given the way he's played this year, his age, just the profile, the type of player that he is, what what do you think would adequately account for his production over the next few years? Like like thirty three million a year. I was going to say years? thirty to thirty five. So yeah, right there. Yeah, like something along. So he's, his option is thirty six for next year, right? So even something along the lines of like four years at 35 million a year and don't forget to the last two years of that would be under the new cap environment for sure yeah and of course there's going to be some inflation because it's the wizards you would think uh they're also here's the other thing though is this is one of those who else is paying him that type of things who is the team that would pay chris Daps among the cap space he does have that three and d kind of skill set which is nice and but i also like even compared to someone like brooke lopez or miles turner he's way less mobile my, my brain my brain is screaming hornets but yeah they, they look like they would only have 21 million although if they dump pj washington and a few more oh for 13 nights from pj washington that gets you his cap hold 17 so that would actually get you up to that number you know chris Stapps isn't really like the i want like a a dunker as the pick and roll partner for Lamelo, but you know I, like 
Chris Epps kind of seems like a Michael Jordan kind of player <laughs> for some reason. Um, who else is out there that would be like Porzingis going from the one, one team in the East that is just desperate to make the playoffs and no more to the other team in the East that is desperate to make the playoffs and no more would be absolute poetry. I could imagine San Antonio putting in a bid. Nah, no way. You don't no think way. so? No, uh, not their type of like personality. And they're on like a multi-year rebuild. You're like, Pop is probably, is, he's going to retire at the end of the year. They'll bring in Yeah, the, the, t- the timing of it is wrong. Because I think that the, having a guy who could credibly space, like the idea of like walking away from Pirtle, bringing in Porzingis, somebody who could kind of make their offense make a little bit more sense would be useful. But the problem is they're going to have a couple of good draft picks over the next couple of years. And I think there's a decent chance that one of them is a five. Yeah. Now maybe it could be a Toronto in a sign and trade, that type of thing. Yeah. And there, there are always teams that could come out of the woodwork. And also I don't know that leverage matters when you're negotiating with the Washington Wizards. Yeah. Like external leverage doesn't matter. Well, Danny, should we do one? Should we do a Watpo in this right now? No. <laughs> Can we do it next episode? No. We're going to have so many contract <laughs> ones. This Also, just as a straight right, note, we'll I don't hey, know that we're going to spend I don't know that we're going to guys... spend a lot of time on it. Yeah. Is Jay Crowder as good of a player as he is? Is he the worst player to be mentioned in fake trades with like every single team we've done mailbag questions on so far? Yeah, there's got to be other than other there. than the Celtics because that's not what they're doing. <laughs> well, much as you might try to distract, I I was going to say this. Tweet at Danny LaRue on Twitter if you would like a Watpo on what we think Chris Saps next contract will be. Because again, this is another one that like teams have to do that, right? Like if you are going to offer Chris Saps an extension, right? You have to actually go through this exercise. Like that's why I think it's interesting. I'm... It is. It is wholly interesting. I like the, I like the exercise. I just um and Porzingis. So because of the structure of things, he you know so he only becomes a he only becomes extension eligible with an opt-out. But with the opt-out, like the 20%, the 20%. Yeah, if he, if he opts out, he cannot take less in the first year of an extension, by the way. Correct. But he, so so that, you know, you could, even if the annual value, you could front load it or do something else if you really want to. You could even, you know, so, but the question from the Wizards perspective, if I were doing it, is why commit now to, you know, like we've talked about Porzingis' injury history. I think that he is, the, the, so you're scared that he might leave, but the suitors aren't particularly strong other than potentially involving a sign and trade. And as well as he's played, do you want to basically commit to a Porzingis Beal combination for the next four or five years? I mean, you might end up there, but I don't Are know. Are you asking me or Ted Leonsis? Both. Have they made the eighth seed or lost? Well, no, that's the, the extension. We don't know. If you do it yeah. as an extension, then the wizard season yeah. has not yet been cast. And that actually okay. later on will answer that. There, That was a, one of the questions I think is worthwhile in the in, in our in this section okay well let's uh, let's uh, finish up here with a quick lightning round i also want to add one thing on the wizards because this is also relevant to this next question about kuzma for john morrow i put a placeholder in with porzingis opting in at 36 million kuzma 19.5 million dollar cap hold that would give the whiz base they're basically right out the tax with that if they fill out the and they could save about 5 million depending on whether their draft pick goes or not to the next it's lotto protected that's that's another interesting wrinkle here as well so that would mean no Rui Hachimura not back 
in that circumstance. Daniel Gafford's 12 million kicks in next year. It's like can't even stay on the floor as a backup center. And that also would mean they wouldn't bring back Will Barton. So that's that's the context here. Don't see the Wiz paying the tax for this group necessarily. That might limit what they offer Chris Stapps Porzingis because they also like there's no way they they would let if they resign Porzingis they also got to resign Kuzma. So John asks what his next contract would look like in annual average annual value in years. I think 70 million guaranteed is about where for for Kuzma. Yeah, that feels about right. And there have been times that I've that I've I, I'm, I'm very impressed with Kuzma's defensive improvement. You know, over the years he's gotten a lot better. He's become a more complete yeah. player than he was on the Lakers. He's yeah, he's not a number one on the perimeter defensively, but he could be a number two. Be a number two, and Kuzma's at times he's gotten to the line reasonably well, and his three point yeah. shooting that was a big problem for him early in his career. Right, and he's his three point shot has come and gone a little bit. I w- if that had gotten like more reliable, I think he hit like 35-36 that last year on the Lakers, and we're like, oh, if this is real, that'll be very good for his career. But he's gotten more effective inside the arc. He's become a he's become a better all around player. But 70 million seems about right because the idea that Kuzma, especially, I mean, another one of those guys who came into the league older. So he's he'll turn 28 after free agency starts, but before next season starts. So you're getting the remainder of his prime on this deal. This is not like you're I wouldn't expect Kuzma to be significantly better two years from now than he is right now. All right. Last thing here on the Wiz. Salty Sarsaparilla. Predict the rest of the season for the Wizards. Top six playing lottery. Not top six. They're okay. So it's, oh God, this would be just such a weird, bizarre, funny circumstance between the two because of how these two teams would approach it. Yeah. If it ends up being, the Pacers have had this really tough stretch. I actually think the Pacers are be- are, are are better as currently constructed than the Knicks and Wizards, but they're also the most likely to tear it down. So basically, theoretically, just for the sake of my own amusement, this would be a funny way of doing it, is that if the Pacers fall behind those two teams, then the Knicks and Wizards are basically going at it unless another team gets hurt for the 10 seed and the apoplectic nature of how the Knicks fan base would approach that and how they would the the Knicks would prop fan base would probably be rooting against it because of what that would mean for the franchise I mean they probably get their asses kicked in that game anyway but because the Knicks have the Wizards pick that's a lot of yeah so like the whole like oh there's just there's so much funny like but also like my expectation would be that if whichever team gets the 10 isn't making the playoffs anyway and it's a lottery protected so all that would happen but so i'm gonna i'm gonna make my prediction here okay uh it looks like bulls knicks wizards pacers are probably gonna be nine through 12 in some order i think the wizards are slightly more likely than not to miss the play-in and i would give them a 15 percent chance at making the the final eight now one of the teams above them could suffer an injury or something but hey so could they so could they and the other so so give me give me your official prediction here because we gotta we gotta wrap up here they miss they miss the play but it's close all right well thanks so much for joining us thanks so much for being subscribed we will finish this out tomorrow also the nba strategy stream is tomorrow late one for you on the west coast pacers and warriors that's at 10 eastern 7 pacific and also got a lot more coming this week as well so stay tuned john and i will finish up our organization rankings always the most interesting time to get to the bottom third of the league and if you're listening on the free pod please consider becoming a subscriber even giving dunked on prime as a gift to the basketball fan in your 
your life. And we got a special sale going on right now to celebrate the addition of Seth Partno. He and Dan in your e-box. E-box? Oh, God. Good enough. Inbox multiple times per week. All right. We'll talk to you all tomorrow.